finding with me the book of Ephesians. We continue our study. We started several weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. Begin to read in verse 19 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, begin to read in verse 19. And for a few moments this morning, we'll speak to you on this subject. Will we remember? Will we remember? Ephesians 2, begin to read in verse 19. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Ephesians 2, begin to read in verse number 19. The Bible says these words. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray together again. Father, thank you again for this opportunity that you've given us to be together as a church family. And Father, I pray now your precious Holy Spirit would challenge each person concerning the needs that are in their life. And God, we do pray this morning with all our hearts as a church family that there's one in our midst who's never been saved, that this would be the day they would turn and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. And God, I do pray that every believer, will not only in word but in deed, will show that we remember what it is that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And not just one day, but every day. God, will be living sacrifices, uh, making ourselves available, Lord, that you might work through us and live through us the life that you desire. Bless this time your will be done in every heart and every life, and we'll thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Well, it is Memorial Day weekend, and for uh, most people in America, it's just a long weekend. Uh, that's what it is. There was a poll, and certainly it's probably more by now, but it was the latest that I could find. In 2000, uh, 21 years ago, Gallup did a poll and surveyed several Americans to ask them if they knew what Memorial Day stood for. Only 28% of those who were interviewed could correctly identify what Memorial Day was really about. That means 72% of those Americans, right? These weren't foreigners who were swimming across uh, the Rio Grande, these, these were people, these were American citizens. 72% of those surveyed could not even correctly identify what Memorial Day was. Uh, and again, Memorial Day is a day, it's the last Monday in May, and it's when we as a country stop and we pause to just memorialize the significance of the lives that were lost in different theaters and in training by servicemen and women, that through them, God has helped provide the freedoms and protect the freedoms that we hold dear as Americans. Uh, but only 28% could correctly identify. And you know, the potential exists to only take for granted their sacrifice, but also as Americans to fail to seize the opportunities that that freedom and the freedoms that they've helped provide really grant us as Americans to be able to live through those freedoms, the life that God wants us to do. Uh, I think it's Peggy and Butch that sing a song, uh, We Will 
remember. But don't y'all sing it? It's a great little song. It's got a great tune. We will remember. It talks about all the things we're going to remember that Jesus Christ has done for us. And uh, one part talks about, I remember the day that you saved me. We'll, we'll remember all of the great and mighty things uh, that the Lord has done for us. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we pause to remember the things that soldiers did for us. But what is it that Christ has accomplished for us? Well, Paul begins to share part of those things in Ephesians chapter 2 to remind the church at Ephesus again. In John chapter 15 and verse number 9, Jesus says this. He says, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than that he laid down his life for his friends. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became our sin sacrifice. God demonstrated his love toward us in Christ's death, and then Jesus demonstrated his love for the Father and for us, and that he willingly gave his life. And so Paul was reminding the church at Ephesus and us that through Christ's life, through his death, and his victory over death, through his resurrection, that we, number one, number one, we are fellow free men. Through Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, first this morning notice that we are fellow free men. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 19. Paul says, now therefore... Uh, because of all the things that have been established in chapter 2, that is, by grace, through faith, uh, that we've been saved, that it's through the finished work of Christ, verse 13, that we've been brought near, because now there's no separation through our sin. He says, now therefore, you, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus, you have repented and you've been saved. And, and listen, you've got to be careful, because our whole lives here in the South, just in the world culture, we have this perception that is constantly put upon us, that is not scriptural, that salvation comes from joining the church and that there's no way that good people could ever go to hell. And so be a member of the church. And a lot of times you'll ask, you know, someone will say, uh, you know, need prayer for so-and-so. You know, they're, they're facing a sickness right now. And you'll ask that person, say, were they saved? Well, you know, I don't know. But, you know, they go to Greenwood. And they, and they serve at Greenwood. And they're a good person. They're, 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 really, they're really a good person. Friend, I wanna, hell's going to be full of good people. But they never repented and trusted Christ. And so who Paul is speaking to here in verse number 19, he says, Now therefore you, he is speaking to those believers in Ephesus who responded to the gospel during his ministry there for three and a half years and then the Great Commission efforts that followed. Those who responded to the gospel, they repented and they trusted Christ. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. He says, no longer. Well, the reverse of that is, that's what you were before. Before you got saved, you were a stranger. You were a foreigner. Now, don't forget the, the mid part of Ephesians 2 we saw several weeks ago. Paul is combating again the thought of Judaism. 
And Judaism was the belief that Paul really, in great focus, wrote the book of Galatians. Judaism was the belief that Christ died for all people. He was the Messiah. But in order to really be saved, not only did you have to repent and by faith trust Christ to be Lord of your life, but you had to become a Jew. And you had to keep the law. And so Paul was trying to remind that though there is a national difference and there still is a national difference between Jew and Gentile, and God will fulfill those covenant promises in the life of the nation of Israel that have not yet been fulfilled during the Great Tribulation and during the thousand-year reign. But in Jesus Christ, friend, all must come by the way of the cross. And in the eyes of God, through Christ, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There is no such thing as replacement theology. But as it comes to salvation, there are no longer strangers or foreigners. Verse number 19. And so he says, now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. Uh, he says, now, now, you, now you're going to be going to the same place that all God's people go when they die. You're no longer foreigners from the city and the family of God. Uh, John chapter 8, in verse number 44, Jesus says these words. Now listen, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Those who were religious, those who... Uh, considered themselves good, God-fearing people. Jesus looked at them, you know, and in, in such a seeker-sensitive way. This is what he says. You're of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so Jesus looked at a group of people, listen, who had not repented and who had not placed their faith in him. And he says, you're of your father, the devil. Now, they would have said, no, God is our father. But friend, they wouldn't have known God if they met him in the road. And Jesus looked into their hearts and he said, all your religion isn't doing anything from you. God is not your heavenly father because you must be, John chapter 3, verse 7, you must be born again. And they had not entered in to a covenant relationship with Christ and repented of their sins. John chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus says, For God so loved the world, they gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen to me. That word perish in John chapter 3, it is an active verb. It doesn't mean that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, one day you will perish. Listen, it means you're already perishing. Jesus says the person who has never been saved... They're already perishing. Listen, friend, there's only two choices in life where you'll spend eternity. There's heaven and there's hell, but you're not going to stay here. When you draw your last breath, the Bible says it's pointed to man wants to die and then the judgment. If you've never repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, hell's where you're going to spend all eternity. And so Paul is speaking to these believers and saying, look, now you're no longer foreigners and strangers from the city that's called heaven. Now you're no longer strangers and foreigners from the family of God. You once belonged, John chapter 8, verse 44, to your father the devil. But now because you've repented, now because you've been saved, you're fellow free men with all those who've repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's why Jesus said in John, Luke chapter 13, verse 3, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish.
except you repent. Jesus says, that means, friend, the reverse of that is everybody's already perishing. You're born separated from God, headed towards hell. It doesn't matter how much religion you have, how many memberships and churches you have, how many ponds, how many creeks, how many baptistries you've been baptized in, unless you've been born again by grace through faith, repentance, turning to Christ and saving faith, you're lost in sin. You're separated from God. And the Bible says hell's where you'll spend all eternity. But because they had turned and because they had trusted Christ, now they were fellow free men with all those who had. Verse number 19 says, Now therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And it's through Christ. It's by His blood that now, He says, you've become members of the family of God. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 5. Again, in that great work that Paul wrote to combat Judaism to the churches in Galatia. He says that when, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 4 of chapter 4. But listen to verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, and literally as daughters. That though we were separated from God because of our sin, Christ made a way, friend, that we could be born again into the family of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 15, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this in his great work on salvation. He says, for when you got saved, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. That is to be separated from God, to be kept apart from his grace and his mercy and to experience damnation in a place called hell. He says, but when you got saved, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The newness of and, and, and the intimate relationship that can be had with the holy God who sent his holy son to die in your place and to die in my place. Paul says, now no longer are we strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens and saints with the members of the household of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, God has predestined us to adoption to sons. It's God's will that all people be saved. If you're here this morning, friend, and you've never been saved, you might have heard some doctrine at work or on the radio, and someone said, well, maybe, just maybe, God predestines you to salvation. Friend, listen to me. That is absolute garbage. And I want you to know, friend, on the authority of God's Word, when Jesus hung upon the cross, He died that all people might be saved, and that means even me and even you. And if you'll repent and you'll trust Christ, friend, no longer will you be separated from God because of your sin, but through Christ and through His sacrifice, friend, you can draw nigh unto God and you can be a part of the family of God and, friend, have a hope that one day when all the craziness of this world is over, friend, we're going to go home to be with our Heavenly Father and at home in a place called heaven, we're always going to be. But it's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's not because of anything you do in the church. It's because what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. It's all by grace, and it's a gift that we receive through faith as we turn from sin and trust Him to be Lord of our lives. And so he said, remember... That it's through Christ and his sacrifice that we become fellow free men. Number two, Paul also reminded the church, and he reminds us, that it's through Christ, his death on the cross, 
the victory over death demonstrated in the empty tomb that number two we have a firm foundation a firm foundation for our lives in psalm 118 in verse number 22 the bible says these words it says the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and that cornerstone that had been rejected was jesus christ the, the cornerstone that God sent that the Jewish faith might be grounded upon and always had been, had been rejected. John chapter 1 and verse number 11 says, He came into his own, and his own received him not. That is, Christ came into the world. He revealed himself first to the Jew first, then the Greek, the apostle Paul says. But they didn't receive him wholly as a nation. That's, that can be a little confusing if you look at the scene on Palm Sunday. Remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus came riding on the foal of a donkey and all of Jerusalem, boy, they had palm branches and they were waving them. And I mean, they were having a party. And Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you'd have thought, man, they've, all these people finally got saved. That's what we'd say in the South. I mean, everybody was excited and holding their hands up. So surely everybody's saved. They were so excited. There was such a good song service, and everybody was just clapping. But listen, friend, when they were welcoming Jesus, they weren't welcoming him to be king of their hearts. They were welcoming him to be king of their city. Because, see, the thing about that is, if you don't like the king of your city, you just vote him out. And so Jesus didn't come to be king of their city at that time. He came to be king of men's hearts. And so he came into his own, but they wouldn't receive him in that way. He was the cornerstone that they had rejected. But he was the one cornerstone that God had sent. You know, back in the older days, and listen, I'm guilty of helping the failure to exist. Back in the older days, moms cooked one meal, you ate that meal, or you starved to death. Can I get a witness? But now it's, what do you want? You don't want that? Well, what do you want? Well, 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 you know, we'll just, and so now, I mean, kids are so spoiled to death, they've got, they don't want the 15th choice, they're holding out for the 16th. And a lot of people think that's the way it is spiritually. You know, that, well, if I don't like the, the Jesus that the Bible presents, I'll just find a church, that's what Paul says is going to happen in 2 Timothy chapter 4 in the last days, I'll just find a church that preaches the Jesus that I do want. But friend, here's the difference. That Jesus that they're preaching isn't the one that is revealed in Scripture. And so the Bible says if you're going to be saved, you've got to receive the one cornerstone for your spiritual life as a firm foundation and there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved than jesus christ our lord and so paul says we we have a firm foundation for our life look what the bible says in verse number 20 having been built now because we're fellow citizens of the saints we're members of the household of god we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets jesus christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He, he himself is the rock that the whole, verse 19, the whole household rests upon. Now, it doesn't mean as much to us today because you just dig a trench and pour a foundation and the whole house rests equally on that foundation. But in days of old, when you laid a foundation, you chose the 
firmest piece of ground and you picked a very key, important rock, and it was the one rock that all the weight of the house ultimately would rest upon. God sent Jesus Christ, friend, to be the one rock that our faith would be grounded on. But he came into his own, and his own again received him not. They pushed that away. But Paul says now that you've been saved, your life has been grounded on that rock. When you repented and when you trust Jesus, listen, Paul says now you have a firm foundation for your life. Now no longer you toss to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You are grounded on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says, The Word God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so now your life has been grounded not only on Christ himself, the living Word, but on his written Word. Look what the Bible says again, verse number 19. When you got, uh, verse 20, Now that you've been saved, now that you're fellow citizens of the saints, you're members of the household of God, your life has been built on the foundation of the apostles, and the prophets, and Jesus Christ himself, he's the chief cornerstone. But what do the apostles and the prophets have to do with, with us being grounded on a firm foundation? Remember Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so when you got saved, friend, you responded to what the Bible says it takes to be saved. That's what the church at Ephesus had. When Paul came to Ephesus, for those three and a half years to minister, he preached the gospel. He preached the word of God. That's what the apostles went out to do. The reason that the Jews that Jesus was speaking to, he said, you're of your father the devil, don't miss this. They wouldn't receive his word. Not only would they not receive his person, that he was the Messiah, but they would not receive the words that he was saying. They would not receive the words that he was speaking. When he told them what life was about, how they were to live, what God expected, what discipleship looked like. John chapter 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, he really began to, live, to lay out, listen, what the life of a disciple would look like. He says, you're going to eat my flesh. You're going to drink my blood. There's, there's going to be pain. There's going to be surrender. You're going to die to self. You're going to fall after me. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, from that day, many of his quote-unquote disciples followed him no more. They wouldn't receive his word. But Paul says, you have a firm foundation because your life is grounded on the living word, Jesus Christ, but also on the written word by faith, Romans 10, 9, and 10. You have turned, Luke 13, 3, but by faith you've responded to the word and you've been saved. That's the mission that Jesus gave the apostles and those whom he would give, the spiritual gift of prophecy, that is to be a mouthpiece for him in the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus says, that's what you, now that I'm going to depart, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Acts 1 8, you're going to receive power. You're going to have the power that you need to accomplish the Great Commission. He says, well, what are we to do? You're to go and preach the gospel. Matthew 28, you're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Well, how do we know what to teach? Teach them what I've commanded. What are those commandments? It's the Word of God. He says, and your life is grounded upon that now. Now you have a firm foundation. Matthew chapter 7 
verse number 15. Jesus gives a beautiful illustration of this. Now, these are lengthy verses, but, but listen to what he's saying about a firm foundation and what that looks like. Jesus says in verse number 15 of Matthew chapter 7, to beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs or from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus, false prophets will not preach and teach the true word of God that your life might be grounded on a firm foundation. Now listen to verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? They're saying, God, I was a member of Greenwood. I was a ministry volunteer. I tithed. I, I had a Sunday school book. I worked and I served. I sang in the choir. Jesus said it's entirely possible to do all kinds of religious work and still die and go to hell. Why? Verse 23 says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Why are these people going to spend eternity in a place called hell? Because, friend, their life spiritually never had a firm foundation. They never repented and they never trusted Christ. And that's the separation. And that's the curse of religion here in the South. The good Baptist. Just join the church and be a good person. Good's not enough. You must be born again. There must be a time frame when you repent and you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. That's what separates those who go to hell and who go to heaven. That's what differentiates those who have a firm foundation and a foundation like this man that Jesus speaks of in the following verses. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, that's his word, whoever hears my word, what I say it takes to be saved, to become a fellow citizen, to go to heaven, to be born again to the family of God. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. Jesus said that life had a firm foundation. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus said that individual, he heard the plan of salvation. Heard it so much that he became hard-hearted. He just became indifferent to it. And he just thought that he had a firm foundation because he had built the facade of a house. That's a testimony. Everybody that walked by said, boy, what a pretty house that fella has. But underneath, friend, what they couldn't see, but the building inspector could was that that house was not built upon the rock the way the first man's was. And then one day it began to rain. And the rain began to beat against both houses. 
The floods came, and that pressure of the floods began to push against those houses. The house that had the firm foundation, friend, it stood. But the one who didn't have the firm foundation, it was swept away in judgment. I'm telling you, my friend, one day if you've never been saved at the great white throne, you can stand there with the facade of your testimony. You can stand and say, and you can tell God all the things that you've done. But my friend, God can see beneath. He's the master life inspector. And he can look and see whether there's ever been a time that your life has been built on the one foundation that will stand in all eternity, and it's Jesus Christ our Lord. The stone which was rejected, the Bible says, has become the chief cornerstone for our life. And friend, the only way to be built upon him is to personally to respond to the gospel. It's to repent, to turn, and to by faith trust Christ to be Lord. Absolute Lord over every area of your life. And through Christ alone, friend, and only through him we can sing, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And my friend, if you've never been saved, you will sink your way into hell one day when you die. But if you've been saved, praise be to God, friend. Death may take your body, but your soul is grounded on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminded them that we're fellow free men through Christ, through his sacrifice, the life that he gave because he loved us. He willingly laid it down. We're fellow free men. We have a firm foundation. And number three, he reminds us we have a fitted function. We have a fitted function. Look what the Bible says in verse number 21. It says, because we've been grounded in Christ, verse 20, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, that's the family of God, that's the church, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He says, whom whom the whole building, well, what's he talking about? Verse 19 again, it's the household. It's the household of God. It's the family of God. It's the true church. And we're, we're so consumed sometimes and wrongly to think that the church is the building. Well, even when we were little, Sunday school teachers told us difference than that. You know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and there's the people. That's, that's the church. My prayer is that If anything, being in the gym during COVID taught us that, friend, that we don't need a sanctuary to experience the Holy Spirit. Some of the best services we had, and some never got to experience, were sitting on hard white chairs in a gymnasium, and I'll remember those services for the rest of my life. Because, friend, listen, this building's no different than that building. The roof's different. Pew you're sitting on is a little more comfortable. Friend, all we need to have church is the Word of God and the Son of God. That's it. That's it. And so he says we have a fitted function, the family of God, the whole building. It's the, it's the people. Look at verse 21. It says, in whom the whole building is being fitted together, it grows into a holy temple, is being. The verb lends itself that it's a daily process that's taking place. Every single day, God continues to knit us and to fit us together as he sees fit. Fitted together, joined together. He says it grows into a holy temple. I'll remind you that 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
In verse number 16, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? When you got saved, friend, listen, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. Now, I know in the area in which we live, and I try to bring it up every time we have this opportunity because it's a false doctrine. There's a lot of people in this area that believe there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. My friend, there is no such thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. When you got saved, you got all of him. The question is, Ephesians 5.18, does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? That's being filled with the Spirit. And so Paul reminded them that, that we're the temple of God. Corporately and individually, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Verse number 22, he says, in whom you also are being built together. You also individually... Why are we being built together? Why are we the temple of God? What is it that God is trying to accomplish? What's the function? It's to live his life in us and through us. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Paul wrote it this way. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You see, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul got saved, he got saved. It was, I mean, a life transforming moment. Friend, I want to remind you, friend, if there's not been change in your life, you've never been saved. No change, no salvation. When Jesus comes in, there will be change. You will be a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away, and all things are going to become new. And Paul's life was forever different. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I've been, I've been fit together in the family of God. He says, and God has a purpose in my life that he's living out. And friend, listen, you're being fit together daily into the family of God and the Spirit of God in you desires to live his best life through you. John 10, 10, it's, it's an abundant life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 15. The Bible says, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 says, And he died for all that those who live, listen, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul told this church at Corinth, don't miss this, who was so, that had been so consumed by worldliness, by infighting and bickering, it was a divided church. It was a church that had all different kinds of agendas. One group wanted to go this direction. One group wanted to go another. One group said they were following this leader. One group said they were following this leader. If it was like most Baptist churches, several of them had their feelings hurt. They were all puffed up because one couldn't do one ministry they wanted to do. One minister couldn't do this ministry. Preacher didn't ask this one to pray, but asked somebody else to pray. This one got to sing, but this one didn't get to sing. So Sunday after Sunday, they just sat in church with their arms folded, all puffed up. Because everything, the moons didn't line, the planets spiritually didn't line up the way that they had predetermined their lives had to be. And the church became ineffective because spiritually... They had become ineffective. And Paul tried to remind them. In verse number 15, he says, 
And Jesus died for all. That is, he died for you. And when you received him, he died, listen, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. That means, friend, that I don't have an agenda. That means if Christ is really going to live the life that he wants to live through me, I can't have an agenda. Therefore, friend, I can't get my feelings hurt. Hello? I can't get my feelings hurt. I'm not going to be puffed up and run sideways if everything's not the way I want because what I want doesn't matter. Only what Christ wants matters. Paul said, I've been knit together into the family of God, daily being fit together, that I should no longer live for myself, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but for him who died for me and rose again. Paul said, the reason that I've been fit together with the family of God is not because my agenda can be fulfilled, but that Christ's will might be lived through my life. And see, friend, if that's not a reality, then we don't really remember what it is that Jesus accomplished on the cross. We only remember what we want to accomplish by way of knowing him through the cross. Paul says there's, there's a function the fitted function is that Jesus lived his life through me as I daily yield to his word and to his will. Paul says that's, that's the fitted function. Only 28%. Think about that. Only 28% of Americans. Does that not grip you? 72% of those surveyed have no idea. and Don't give any thought to all the soldiers who stood in harm's way and gave their lives so that they can experience the freedom that we have in Americans. My friend, it's, it's a problem in the church and spiritual lives every day. We're so prone to live our lives and forget what Christ accomplished for us. Philippians 2, that he set aside all the glory that was due him and came to this sin-cursed earth to be spat upon, to be mocked, to be rejected, to be despised, to be hated, all so that he could die on the old rugged cross so that I could be saved from my sin. And so will we remember? We, we will remember. We will remember. I love that song. If they just sang it this morning, boy, we'd have tapped hands and woohoo! Yes, sir, we remember. But will we remember? The demonstration that we will remember is what we do daily with that freedom. Write this verse down, Psalm 116, verse number 18. The psalmist begins to share his testimony. In verse number 1, it sounds like a Baptist testimony service. He stands up and says, I, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my supplications. Verse 2, he says, Therefore I will call upon his name as long as I live. Verse 5, he says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Verse 6, he says, I was brought low. He says, And God, God saved me. Verse 8, he says, God, you delivered my soul from death. He's stating truth. All these things that the Lord has done. He's remembering them. He says, I've, I've taken the cup of salvation. 
Oh, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God will be there for his children. But listen, verse number 18, at the end of all of these statements that he makes concerning all the goodness that God has shown him, don't miss this, listen. He says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all these people. The psalmist says, I'm not just going to say that I remember. Listen, he says, I'm going to demonstrate that I remember. Do you see the difference? He just doesn't say, I remember all God has done. No, the psalmist says, I'm going to pay my vows. I'm going to live out my remembrance. That's the way we really demonstrate that we do remember. Well, what did I vow? Well, it's salvation. Listen to me. If you've been saved, if you've been saved, say amen. If you didn't say amen, you need to be saved. If you've been saved, what did you vow? You vowed that Jesus Christ would be Lord of your life. The psalmist says, I'll pay my vows. You vowed that Christ would be Lord of your life. Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life if I won't read my Bible daily and pray? I won't even take time to fellowship with him through the reading of his word. Can I really say that? Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life if there's parts of God's word that I refuse to obey? Because they convict parts of my life that I won't give to him. Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life and I'm fulfilling that vow if I won't even witness and live on mission daily? Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life that I'm fulfilling that vow if I won't even discover my spiritual gift? Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life if I won't forgive my brother or my sister? I hold on to hatred and anger in my heart against someone, again, because most often in the local church, because I didn't get my way? Can I really say that Jesus is Lord of my life? And God help us to display our acknowledgement of our remembrance of what Christ has done for us and to display it daily by paying our vows that Christ might be Lord in every way. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You said, amen, I've been saved. Jesus is Lord of my life. Truly, are you displaying today that that's the reality? As a child of God, is there an area in your life that the Holy Spirit is pointing out even now that Christ is not Lord over? Friend, lay it down today. Pay your vows today. Display that you really do remember what Christ has done for you. And because of that, you'll surrender to his lordship again, fresh and anew today. Might this prayer of decision be yours? Lord, I remember today. I remember what it is that you did for me at Calvary. God, I remember when I got saved. Lord, I remember that tenderness, that newness, that freshness that was there. Lord, I remember the joy of reading your word and praying, telling all my lost friends that I'd been saved. But God, I've gotten over it. I really don't remember what it is you've done. Oh, I can say it, but I'm not paying my vows daily. God, forgive me.
here fresh and anew, I want to surrender once again to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Father, I want to leave different. I want to begin to freshen anew, to study your word daily, to pray, to obey your word, to look for others that I can witness to, to use my spiritual gift within the life of the church. God, if it's not this church, then move me to the church that you want me to be at where I can use it. Lord, my life is yours. Whatever you want for my life, God, take me and use me. I'll pay my vow today in the presence of your people. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Friend, without him, I want you to listen to him this morning. If you've never been saved, listen very closely. I don't care how good you are, how long you've been a part of the church, and how many saved people you have in your family. You may have become numb to this truth, but you better hear me this morning. If you've never been saved, you've got a mailbox in hell. You are a citizen of a place called hell. And when you die, you're going to go home. But you don't have to. Christ gave his life that you might be saved. If you'll only turn today from your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. Tell him so right now. He wants to hear from you if you'll only turn and trust him today by faith. Tell him just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I believe you rose from the grave. I want to be a fellow free man. I want to be a part of the family of God. I want a solid rock for my life to be built upon. God, I want you to, I want to be a part of that fitting function. I want you to live your life through me. Be Lord of my life. Save me now. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to invite you when you stand at our feet in just a moment. So make your way down to the front where I'm at. I want to encourage you in that decision. God may be leading you. This is the church family you need to come and link your life with and help us fulfill the great commission in this our community. However the Lord's leading you, you respond to him now. Father, speak to your church. Challenge us. Holy Spirit, I pray that not one heart will grieve or quench the work that you desire to do today. All of us can leave truly saved. On Christ the solid rock, our life is built. Have your way now. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If you need to make a decision, step out and come right now.